Fellow. This is the Fight Back Podcast, hosted by exercise scientist Georgia Berry. Here, you'll find a series of honest conversations about martial arts and mental health. My guests and I explore the statement that every martial artist has heard. Martial arts saved me. How and why do combat sports save people? Listen to find out. So welcome everyone to Paul Linden, who I am quickly learning is a very different kind of human being. Uh, Paul is an Aikido instructor, has been for how long, Paul? 50 years? Been practicing and teaching for 50 years, yes. 50 years. And has had the trauma-informed lens on that practice for 25 years? About that. I think my first article was in 82 or something of the sort on trauma. Amazing. And so Paul is one of the first people to, I think, would be one of the first people to bring this trauma-informed lens in. He has a philosophy background, so a very interesting person to speak to about all these type of things. I'm just going to pull this screen off so we can see us. Um, I think you might have to stop the share. Oh, I can. There we go. Perfect. All right. So when I say to you, people always say martial arts saved me, Aikido saved me. Paul, why is that? Because martial arts give us something that very little else can. Um, I just this last week started to understand American football. I realized that if you take away the techniques, and some of them are brilliant movers, their basic pattern is to get used to being hit and hitting back and to keep going. That's what a lot of the hard style arts teach directly. The soft arts teach it much the same way, but in a totally different way. So I think I was on a panel on resilience and somebody asked, how do you define resilience? And I said, the old Timex watch commercial takes a licking and keeps on ticking. That's fighting spirit. So I think the martial arts, if you if you look at the sports like football or ballet or whatever, most of them are after excellence and the very best perform and everybody else watches them. In the martial arts, especially in the traditional martial arts, I believe, there's a feeling that martial arts are not for the best, it, only it's not a sport, it's not for the elite, it's for everybody to make them safer and better people. And so Aikido or the other martial arts give people something that they desperately need, which is a, a place of strength that isn't oppositional and harsh and kindness that isn't wimpy. And kindness that isn't wimpy. I love that. Solution to a lot of the problems we have in the world. Power and love, I think, are exactly the same thing, spelled differently. How so? Oh, okay. If it's say you your 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 friend is hit by a speeding bumblebee and is lying in the street bleeding. You say, "Ooh, blood! I can't stand it." Can you help them? Of course, they're my friend. They're hurting. No. If you can't look at the blood and you turn away, you can't help them. So you need oh, some no. power to be able to make your love work. If you if you got power and it's self-destructive and leads everything down the tubes to hell, I don't call that power, I call that brutality and self-destruction. So power needs love, 
love needs power. And when you put them together, you can't tell the difference. They just, they need each other. They're the same thing. I think it's just a matter of what we speak about. We can speak about the front end or the rear end, but it's no, there's only one animal there and it's power and love. Do you think martial arts inherently teach that or do people need to be more specific in their teachings? Like if you just go into any club, are you going to get that lack of, what did you just call it, without the, the wimpy brutality? Wimpy brutality is not wimpy except in a certain sense. Wimpy love. Mm. You know, I think it has to be taught deliberately and people have to choose to learn it. Having said that, I think if you continue to do the art, sooner or later, it speaks to you. I think the hard arts as you go up get softer and the soft arts as you go up get stronger, harder. But I I don't learn much unless I do it deliberately. I, I was never a movement person, I was a bookworm. So I have to deliberately do what I'm gonna do with my body or it doesn't happen. I've thought about this a lot lately. What do you think it is that helps people or causes the end result of long-term martial arts training to be the kind of person who has arrived at some form of that enlightenment around respect and you know humility and all the things that martial arts teach is it that martial arts teach that and they mold everybody into that type of fit or is it that the people who inherently have those attributes are the only kind of people that will stay in a martial art yes the second the both the both okay i think um, i think in a way how can i say it okay i've had parkinson's disease for 18 years i'm still more or less functional more or less rational upon occasion but it teaches you something i i wrote an essay called parkinson's my best attacker it's always with me and I always have the choice, do I let it take over? Do I feel resentment for it? Or do I just keep calm and do what I can do? And I think if you keep practicing the martial arts, you get to a place where you build up enough power to be able to realize how weak we really all are. And then you, we're on the same boat. You want to help people instead of hurting them. But uh, if you feel tough, then you're cutting yourself off from yourself and from others. If you feel the power that one of the one of the tactics in Aikido is to yield, to go along with. It doesn't mean to surrender. But I find the quickest way to deal with an attack is to say, you know, you're much better than I am. I don't want to fight you. And they mostly just don't bother because who who needs to fight somebody who won't fight back? I will if I need to, but I don't tell them that. I'd far prefer they walk away saying, well, that little old man is much of an artist. And so if martial arts teaches that and it has that so inherent in it, what do you think? And we were talking about this the other day. How can the community approach this divide between martial arts is a violent thing, what we see on TV in people fighting in cages, et cetera, that's a violent thing, and learning martial arts is a peaceful thing, which seem like polar opposites. How do we how do we continue to ensure that that message is being received in in our way of seeing it? Well, I think the basic problem, I once saw a debate, is Aikido a martial art or not? 
And mm. the problem is neither side defined their terms. If they had said what they considered martial law to be, the debate would have been over in three minutes. According to this definition, yes. According to that definition, no. So the question is, what is violence? And mm. I won't put you on the spot unless you especially want to be on the spot. How would you define violence? I would define it probably differently. I don't know. I would define violence as... See, violence isn't brutality. I would define violence as an act that exceeds the necessary restraint for the situation. That sounds like a good definition to me. So if it doesn't exceed the necessary use, then it's not violent. Hmm. And so if you... Can you kill somebody non-violently? Yes, if you... If they set up a situation in which you must, that you have no choice but to kill them, but you feel kindness and compassion and sorrow, you're not doing it because you enjoy it, you're doing it because they needed it. And so I would call that nonviolent. The, the way I explain this to people who don't understand how that's possible, you're going for a walk in the woods, you see this lovely dog comes up, you want to pet it? I forgot to tell you, it has rabies. Do you pet it? No. Would you shoot it? I would, because it'll die anyway in terrible pain and infect other animals. So would you hate it? No, you'd feel sorry. You'd feel compassion and pity and you'd kill it. So it is possible. It's damn hard to do. Yeah, I love that. How did you get into this whole trauma-informed space? Well, I was walking across the parking lot at a shopping center here in Columbus, Ohio, where I live. This woman stopped me and said, who are you? You don't walk like anybody I've ever seen. And she was picking up that I was a, some kind of hybrid fusion between Japanese cultural model of walking and the Western. And so I explained what I did. And I said, I teach self-defense and Aikido and black belt and karate as well. And she said, I'm a psychologist and I deal mostly with women who've been abused. Would this help them? I said, I don't know. I've taught self-defense, but I've never taught what you're speaking about. So she said, I'll send you six and we'll see. 10 minutes into the first group, I, I said, I had my aha. This is what I've been training myself. In. This is what I want, waited for to apply all of the things that I've learned, everything from my bad jokes to self-defense to philosophy of science in the service of people who've been traumatized, not just women, but it, it, it was, it was the aha. If I had known what I was going to do with all this stuff, I would have trained myself exactly the way I did. And so I've done that for 25, 30 years now. Now I'm starting to try to go into more peacemaking, prevent some trauma before it gets started, and social justice and all that. That's the same thing. What was different in that class? Did you do anything differently to the way that you had been teaching? Yes and no. The difference was that I had to be very careful and if I was working with one person, I had to keep my eyes on everybody else. Because if, if that person said, well, this big turtle bit me on the toe, three other people would say, oh, my God, I had a turtle bite me on the toe, too, and they'll flip out. So I had to, to sort of regulate everybody's body and know what was going on. And I, I realized that I shouldn't get into the deep work till I first taught them some preparatory centering. So I teach. I throw tissues at them or bark. May I bark at you? <laughs> what did you do when I barked at you? I laughed. And anything else? No, I no. I don't think I held my breath that time. Good. Okay, that's where we're going. If you can 
deal with this weird guy getting in your face and barking, then you're ready for the next step. So I'd take him through a series of things. One of them is you have too many noses, which is an interesting attack. They know it's dumb and it's silly and funny. But when I get in their face and yell at them, their body says, oh, my God, he's yelling. So I'd take them through a series of, of gradually increasing attacks until which which really had nothing to do with the attack they actually suffered and then when they have a generic kind of all-purpose power then they could do their therapy more easily they could talk about what happened to them without practicing being a victim to it again and then we could start working on the deep stuff but what was different was that i couldn't just say okay today we're going to work on a choke because if i choke them somebody's head would fall off that's to come up with very, very specific stepwise progressions. What are some of the other things that you're watching for when you're keeping an eye on the class? What are you looking out for? Looking out for emotions that seem to be not commensurate with the situation. If I'm throwing tissues at somebody and they're going, climbing up the walls, I know it's not the tissue. But uh, it's that kind of thing. It's something that isn't quite presence-oriented. I'll give you an example. Yes. The first time I ever encountered anything like this, and now I know what I was stepping in at the time, I hadn't a clue. I was working with a woman on the Aikido skill, the unbendable arm, you know, that extension st strengthens your arm. And I, I said, okay, reach out and touch the flower on the wall. And she could do that. I'd push on her wrist and it wouldn't, wouldn't her elbow would not bend. Then I said, okay, now, when I let go, you still feel that extension, right? She said, no. I thought, okay, how am I going to get her to know? Okay, this is not something you do. As you start getting it, it becomes a, a constant thing. It's how you use your body. You're always open and extending. So I said, okay, let's start from the beginning. If, you, if I grab you, you can feel my hand on your arm, right? right? She said, yes. I said, now, what I was thinking was, I'm going to take my hand away, and she'll still feel her arm. And I can say, see, the awareness abides. And I took my hand away and said, can you still feel, feel your arm? And she said, no. I said, oh, I get it. You're just a product of what somebody does to you. You don't exist, actually, which was true. But I hadn't a clue what I was stepping in, mm -hmm. and I didn't know what, what I had said or what it meant. It was just interesting. And she broke down crying, ran, ran out of the class, and never came back. Wish I could have done something about it, but it took me a few years to figure out what had happened. What do you do now when people have that true lack of interoception, that mm -hmm. lack of being able to sense where their body is in space? I help them. I help them understand. How would I do that? Um, may I choke you, please? What sure. Do yeah, right. Well, you do something different, but most of them will say, no, I'll say, where, I say, where did you go? I didn't go anywhere. And I had one guy, for example, no matter what I did, he, uh, I say, what did you do when your brother did that? He said, nothing. And no matter what you said, that this is the reason the therapist sent him to me. Um, no matter what I did, he'd say, no, I didn't feel anything, I didn't do anything. So finally, and this is only not for the faint of heart, I pulled a knife on him and he went, <gasps> I said, after I poked him slightly and penetrate very deep, of course. But I said, what'd you do? He said, nothing. So I poked him again and said, what'd you do with your hands? He said, no, they went up. And I took him on a tour of his body. And he, every time I poked him, he'd find a new body part. 
And then I said, what did you feel when you did that? He said, nothing. And I said, watch. I did it. And he said, you look scared to death. And he said, oh, my God, I must have been scared, but I didn't notice it. And that was the beginning. I taught him to not feel the feeling, but to notice what the body did, what he did in his body. I define emotions as physical actions you do in your body. If you can't feel the feelings, the feelings are what those physical actions are experienced as. You can't feel the feelings. I don't tell you to feel the feelings. You can't find them. I say, where in your body did you do something? What did you do there? Do it more and more. At some point, they'll start to feel it. Do you feel like you're able to do that in a class setting or does it need to be one-on-one when people are at that level? Okay. It depends. I would certainly not do any of this in an ordinary Aikido class. That's Mm -hmm. not the contract. The contract is we're here to learn Aikido defense techniques and perhaps philosophy and all that. Mm -hmm. But if we're a group of survivors specifically Mm -hmm. um, set up for survivors to practice in a class, yeah, I'd do it. And then I hope I'd have some some of the therapists there to watch out for if one of their heads falls off to catch it and put it back on. Because if I'm working intensely with one person, it's, it's difficult to monitor the others. But yeah, in that case, it's very productive because if I do something with one and three others say, oh, wow, something like that happened to me too, then we get this amplification. We go round and around the circle. It makes it very easy. I don't ever suggest, could this have happened to you? But when they see somebody else going through something, they say, gee, that sort of happened to me too. Mm-hmm. Never work with somebody and say, if, some, if, if, you were, if you were in the dark, a client comes to you and says, I'm sitting in the dark and somebody put a hand on my shoulder. What's your next question? Mm, why are they there? You don't know. It could be a clock hand, a chimpanzee hand, oh. a statue hand. You're, you're, you're telling, you're, you're coming with completed, with, complete with ideas and stories. And if I did that, then they're my ideas and my stories and not necessarily the clients. So I, mm-hmm. I don't suggest anything. I just say, okay, and what do you do in your body when this happens? I keep asking that. Eventually they find out what they're doing and why. So that's clearly a trauma-informed class. Yes. Is there anything that you do in your teaching that makes it more, like we'll call it trauma sensitive? So it's not that the class is set up to cater to helping people recover, helping survivors recover, but there might be people who just have trauma because people with a history of trauma are often drawn to doing martial arts. And so is there anything that you do now or that you've developed over those 50 years that you think is different to the way that other teachers are teaching that makes it more trauma sensitive or even just human sensitive? Yes, I I start, as I said, with the idea that emotions are things you do in your body, the actions. Mm-hmm. And so if somebody is, you're punching me and I'm grabbing you. Mm-hmm. If I grab this, I see what I did with my neck. I pulled in and I'm watching for that. Why is he pulling in? If he opens his neck, lets his tongue hang loose, lets everything soften, then he can move better. Why does he feel the need to pull in? So I'm looking for those kinds of actions in the body. And if I spot them, then I'll come over and say, why don't you come over and work with me for a few moments? And I'll take them aside and see what's happening. It might just be they had a whiplash injury or or something. 
It could be very trivial in a way, and it could also be a clue to something very deep. It's not that I'm teaching a trauma-sensitive class. I'm just trying to be sensitive to the people in front of me. Mm. And I've often said, okay, you can cry if you want. I've had plenty of black belts cry on the mat, but don't stop protecting yourself. So I don't, they don't have to feel ashamed of anything they're feeling, but they're not allowed to stop fighting. Do you think that that's appropriate to all martial arts, the, the loose mouth thing? So, for example, when I'm fighting, I wear a mouth guard and I yeah. bite down on the mouthpiece to don't keep bite. it. Yeah. Well, not yeah. even to keep it in place because mine is designed by a dentist, you know, so it stays in place. But I guess there's... Maybe there's a perception, and it's a saying, right? Bite down on your mouthpiece and just keep fighting. It's kind of like grit your teeth and and bear it, which is is it the opposite of what you're saying is the way to fight? I don't know. Let's try something. Okay. What I'd like to do is bite down with your teeth, clench your jaw, mm-hmm. and now conduct an orchestra. Move your mm-hmm. arms. Keep, keep your mouth tight. Mm-hmm. Now keep conducting and loosen your jaw, loosen your teeth. What does that do to the, your shoulders and the movement? Yeah, it makes it flowier. Is that good or bad? I don't know. I don't know all martial arts. I barely know the, the Aikido and the Karate that I've studied. Is it useful all the time? I don't know. It depends what your purpose is. Yeah. So it, I imagine there are plenty of reasons to keep your teeth clenched, but then how can you throw a good punch if your teeth are clenched? Well, I think it... It lends to this idea of the antagonist agonist muscle in a joint being like for my bicep, right. the agonist, right, is going to flex the bicep and the antagonist is the tricep, which is going to extend it. Right. And when we put 100% effort into something, our brain recruits everything. So if I go to punch, it's going to recruit my tricep, which extends my elbow to punch and my bicep, which is that a break. Cool. Which pulls the power out. Yeah. So I wonder if having the looser mouth helps you come to that 90% where the the power or the, the restraint system is removed and the end product is a more powerful punch. I, I believe know. it does. In Aikido terms, it certainly does. I think that's what you've seen the unbendable arm, haven't you? I haven't. Tohei Sensei came up with this. You put somebody's arm out and you either put it on your shoulder or grab the wrist and, the, and their shoulder, mm-hmm. and you bear down. I'm five, six, or at least I used to be I'm smaller than that now. I've taken mm-hmm. big guys, put my hand on the shoulder, they hang all their weight on my elbow and they can't bend me mm-hmm. because I'm not resisting. I'm, ex- I'm thinking of extending toward the wall or toward something far away. And when you do that, you cut out the agonist muscle, the antagonist muscles totally. Mm-hmm. And you've got nothing but the agonist muscle functioning. If I'm doing a demonstration, I want to show that I can bend somebody's arm and say, be stronger. And then they engage the antagonist muscles, steal energy from their whole system, mm-hmm. and then I can bend them. Now, is that good or bad in other arts? I don't know. I don't know enough about all arts to know. I would say... If- See if I can do something tonight. If I'm punching, mm-hmm. punch like that. There's no power. If I flick, and my meds are not quite on at the moment, though. See what I'm doing is extending. I'm I'm not stopping. I don't think about bracing at any point or bringing it back. 
you know, it's probably a fusion. There aren't too many people who study the hard and the soft art. I figured if I couldn't, if I didn't study both, I wouldn't understand the world of arts. But Ikea was my home. But even so, um, does that look different from the bracing that many people do at the end of their punch? Mm. Yeah, there's a handbrake there. See, I, I, and I think this is idea that's starting to become popular in sports psychology and in sport in general, that's we don't need to make people better or have more tools. We almost just need to take away all of the handbrakes that they've put in place, that they're holding themselves back from. It's not so much learn more, it's learn less. It's hold yourself back less. Is that something that you think you teach? Don't think so. Mm-hmm. I think what's natural for the human being is fear, anger, and numbness. Mm-hmm. And that's what we came equipped with, and that's what we've used all these centuries. Now it's getting us into real trouble because it's okay to be afraid. If, 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 it, if you don't know what it is, you run from it or attack it or go numb and wait till it kills you. Mm-hmm. And that's okay if there's 20 of you in your family and you're in the middle of the woods 10,000 years ago. But with billions of us, it doesn't work. But um, I think that the idea of, it may not be natural to do this. I don't know what natural means, but I have very, kannst du Deutsch sprechen? Kannst du Deutsch sprechen? That's German. Can you ask, is it, can you ask a question? I don't know German. Speak German. Could you speak it without learning it? No. No, I think that punching and being soft is the same way. I think mm-hmm. we're more more readily able to be stiff and hard and hit than mm-hmm. we are soft and gentle and hit. But uh, I think it takes a lot of training to do to do soft movements that are powerful. But I don't know. I I wouldn't venture to say it. It's next week I'll know more. I hope. Do you think that that's a practice that extends beyond in the classroom? Oh, yes. How do you teach people to do that? Watch your body. Mm-hmm. So I was I, ha- I was invited to do a presentation at one point, and the person asked me to do something on, on a specific topic, and she said, how would you approach that? And I said, this, this, and this, and this. And she was scratching her head. What does that have to do with anything? You're just going off talking about stuff. That isn't what I asked you to teach. And so I gave her one of my writings, she read it, and she said, oh, I see, it's the same thing. I said, right. The, the, the phrase I use, it's all the same except for the differences. But I can't explain what do I do in this area that's totally different from what I do in the other area, because it's all the same. But they have to understand why. I, I think of it as a, an open, spacious posture and awareness and mm-hmm. kindness and power. And that is the same always. And she expected me to give a very different answer. And she got pretty pissed when I said, I can't, this is what I have to teach. When she finally understood it, she, she thought it was, she, she liked what I was saying. But my response could have been, okay, you dimwit, this is what I do. If you don't like it, bug off. But I did the key thing. I softened. I opened my chest, I chose to keep breathing instead of not breathing, and I thought, how can I explain without blaming her? Because my initial feeling was, you don't understand, you've got a very narrow view of what this is about, lady. But I said, okay, wait, 
I came up with a way of saying not that she is right or that I was right, but that our styles were different. And, um, and she, we, we found a meeting place. By not attacking her, we both won. But I think that takes a lot of training. And so people in a martial arts setting, and you and I know this and anyone who's trained will know this, that if you're in this fight or flight or anger mode while fighting, it's very difficult to be effective. But then to continue to practice that outside of when you're training, so to go about your day-to-day and to monitor yourself and to notice, when is my voice speeding up, when is my body getting tense, that is then when it integrates. You made a mistake. You spoke English. Your body is not getting tense. You are tensing your body. Ah. That's one of the things that the philosophy background has, has shown me. Mm-hmm. If you, your English is normal, you can't think certain thoughts. You okay. made me so mad when you stepped on my pet rabbit. No, that's English. I made myself so mad about you when you stepped on, on my pet rabbit. Mm-hmm. So the very construction of our language says you made me feel, and that right we don't take ownership. Exactly, we're we're encouraged not to. And so one of the things I'm doing is not only monitoring my body, mm-hmm. but monitoring my words, so I can speak about my body without getting sidetracked. Mm-hmm. So I start with the body, but I always have to keep. What am I doing? What am I saying? It gets very technical. One of mm-hmm. my recent things. Years ago, I was walking by a pond in the spring. Yes. I watched the, the pollen drifting down onto the water. And I, I said to myself, gee, the winding is blowing the pollening onto the watering. There was nothing solid there. There's nothing immovable. And we had the wind is blowing the pollen onto the pond. Solid nouns for, for changeable processes. Didn't make any sense. So I've kept that with me. What is an, is an emotion a thing? Can you stop it? Or is it a process that you have to work with and change? See, so I, I, it's a little weird being a hybrid philosophy martial artist, but uh, I think the language and the, the martial training go hand in hand, or maybe foot and mouth or something. I love it. I think it makes so much sense. It's great. I could really talk about this all day, but I do want to make sure we really cover off some of the great things that you've learned in in your work working with trauma. So what would be a list of some of the things that are different in a trauma-informed class? I don't know. I know it's different in my trauma-informed class. In your trauma-informed class, then. Thank you for putting up with me. Okay, well, basically... I'm watching for it. Mm-hmm. I'm watching for the out of proportion responses. Mm-hmm. I'm watching for anger. I'm watching for protection in weird ways. I had one client once. I said, "Okay, if you're driving down the freeway and you shut your eyes, they can't hit you because you can't. They can't see you, right?" And she said, "Yes." <laughs> That's a little bit unusual, but you can see that in their movements. Sometimes they'll, they'll just blank out for a second so they don't have to be there. I had one woman once who was, somebody tried to mug her on the street. Mm-hmm. She lost consciousness. And when she came to, the, the guy was flying through the air. And then he landed with a crunch and she ran. I think I know which technique she used. 
something in her said, look, lady, you, 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 you still believe, you don't believe you can do this. Out of the way, I'm going to take over and you're going to defend yourself and then you can come back. There was a part of her that knew that she could do it. But she was such a chicken shit in her normal presentation that she couldn't have done it by choice. So something took over, some part of her took over. So I'm always watching for that kind of stuff. What about if somebody's going into a class and they, the reason they're going into the class is because they're a survivor? What are some of the things that they could expect that might happen to them? One of the things I, I ask about, I have an intake form when somebody mm-hmm. comes in, where do you hear about my Aikido school, et cetera, et cetera. I say, why are you coming? If they say something like that, I'll say, okay, many of my clients, many of other people's clients are survivors have come to my classes and they come and they say that they're lovely classes. I see you teaching very well. The people in your classes are lovely, but I can't stand being in a class for an hour where people are putting their hands on my body. So I'm, I'm saying, don't wait till it's the right time. Mm-hmm. If you want to come and persist, you can. I won't force you to do anything. You can sit off the mat every 10 minutes. You can do whatever you need to keep yourself safe. But don't feel bad about realizing that this is not what you need at this stage. Mm-hmm. Do what you need. So what I'm lo- again, it's what I'm looking for, trying to figure out why are they there? How can I help them? It's really, really good advice. What about for instructors who are teaching and thinking they want to be more trauma sensitive to people who are coming in? I think that's a great place to start is by asking them up front and, and making sure that you're on the same page because, you know, how empowering for someone to say, you know, maybe this isn't the place for you. These could be some of the steps. And then when you're ready, you can come back in and this this isn't going to change in totality to be okay with where you're at right now. And that's not a bad thing because what this is is human to human contact and that's a good thing but it's it's well it's not a good or a bad thing it's just what it is and you're not ready for it right now but what else can instructors be thinking about doing to help make their their dojo more trauma sensitive it depends on the art i guess mm-hmm. you notice in that brief video before i did anything before i touched her i said may i mm-hmm. I think I actually said, may I throw this at you when I threw the tissue at you, didn't mm-hmm. I? Hope I did. Yes, yes, you did. I asked permission. I asked permission before I do something, informed consent. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't presume that everybody is in the same place and there for the same reason. So if you teach, well, this is how I do Aikido anyway. I really don't like memorizing techniques. Mm-hmm. I, I never could, so I pretended I shouldn't have had to. But um, if you, okay, if, okay, if I grab your wrist, how many different directions could I move your wrist? Forward, to the side, to the side, back, up, down. I and don't know. Every other direction. And, yeah, can. infinity. Yes, right. Or at least lots and lots. Mm-hmm. How many techniques do you have to defend against a wrist grab? Which wrist grab? Which? Well, they're all the same defense, aren't they? I suppose I would turn to find the weak point and pull it out. Yeah, I would not. I would go with the specific direction of the attack. Mm-hmm. Somebody is gripping with their thumb. Mm-hmm. There's, there's power flowing down this way. If mm-hmm. they're gripping with their little finger, there's power flowing up that way. 
Now, it's more mm-hmm. efficient in, in certain sense just to ignore that and slug the sucker. Mm-hmm. That's a very simple algorithm. Yeah. But I find it very interesting to go with it and to try to figure out, okay, if there's power in the little finger, how's that affecting the shoulder? And which hip does it affect? Mm-hmm. Squeeze, squeeze your hand, please. Make a punch. Make mm-hmm. this. I put more power in the top. What does that do to your back compared to putting more power in the finger? Does it change anything? Yeah, there's like a a slight tightness across the middle back, I would say. It's like a contraction. Yeah. If you you bend your wrist just a bit too much, does that change the rest of the body? There you go, feel. When you do that, does anything change here? When you open your wrist, when you hyperextend your wrist, does anything change right in here? Oh. Yeah, it does, here. I have trained myself to be able to see that. You'll see in the video, uh, in the video that I gave you, I'll walk up to somebody and just touch them someplace and they'll collapse. It's because I've trained myself over 50 years to spot those things. I, I can taste them. Mm-hmm. The example I usually use is a wine taster. I'm told they can tell what variety of grape it is, what year harvest, what, what all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. To me, wine boiled grape juice. I can't tell the difference, mm. but I haven't spent time learning. So for me, Aikido is about not memorizing techniques, of becoming so sensitive that you can taste what's going on inside the attacker mm-hmm. and throw them with deserves to fall. That's hard. Maybe someday I'll achieve it. I've done it occasionally. But uh, you see the difference. I'm not, if the martial art is about winning and surviving the cage fight, maybe you don't care about that level of precision. You just want to slug the sucker and win. Or maybe you're willing to spend the extra 50 years it takes then when you go into the cage, you just do something soft and minimal and he falls down. Nobody knows why. But uh, it depends what your purposes are. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking about it more specific to jiu-jitsu or to Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which I have dabbled in and I struggle with, mostly because I think I haven't spent the time learning to be able to check my ego. And so I want to win. And so I'm like tensing everything and I'm pushing hard. And and in that single-minded focus, of course, I can't possibly be looking at what they're doing. I'm, you know, barely present in what I'm doing. And right. so it's it's an interesting thing to try and carry to to bring this present awareness to what we're doing all of the time and not just because that's a great way to recover from trauma is to keep people present and in their bodies, but because it makes us so much more effective at everything that we're trying to accomplish, regardless of whether we're trying to do a martial art or win a sport. Exactly. And that's why I've been able to, my first book was on computer ergonomics, the Mm -hmm. second book on trauma recovery. And I've had books on what peacemaking and articles on children with ADHD, all kinds of stuff. It's all the same except for the differences. And the differences are the where you apply it. It's different mm-hmm. from a swing a golf club or take a swing at your boss 
But up to the final moment when you're deciding what to do with all the awareness and the power, the training is, exa is exactly the same. So I can go in anywhere, do anything. It looks like I'm doing something different, but I'm doing the same thing. Just change the titles. And that all comes back to a concept that you've spoken to me about before, which is this swim with joy. I want to end on you explaining what that means to people to go through life, figuring out how to swim with joy. Okay. Trauma takes people into a place where there's no light and no joy, usually. And um, if they go to some, some practitioner and they work on their trauma and they talk about it, and they're, they're essentially practicing being victims. You, you talk about what happened, you, you feel it in your body, and you strengthen that negative feeling. If you learn how to open your body and not recreate the trauma, that's one step. If you go to a, a situation where the person takes you through an awful lot of stuff and you don't re-experience the trauma anymore when you talk about it and you can live, you can be very comfortable and very psychologically healthy. But if you don't revisit the actual trauma, especially if it's abuse, if you don't go through it again and win, then you haven't finished it. And if you win with gritted teeth and hate, then you certainly haven't finished it. If you swim with joy, then the, the near drowning experience is, is, is cut off and it doesn't affect you much. So I think that if you don't, a lot of therapists don't think that it's legitimate or possible or not re-traumatizing to lie down on top of somebody who's been pinned and raped. If you don't, how do they ever get free? Mm -hmm. No, it has to be the end of a long, careful process. It has to be utterly trustworthy and on and on and on. But when somebody, when somebody throws me off and through their own efforts, they create safety, they sit up and they have this glorious grin on them. And they are happy. And I, I could show you videos of that as well. But it's the, the, that's, that smile makes it all worth it. And they, they say, wow. That's the smile of freedom, and they're, they're in great shape. But if you say, you can't do that, they can't go through it, because what defeated them will defeat them again, then you're saying you're, you're basically powerless. You always were. You'll stay that way. Now you're healthy and powerless. I don't like that. I want people to be empowered, literally. And the only way to, to you don't have to be empowered in everything in every way, but in some sense, you have to go through what disempowered you and fix it with joy. Love it. How can people find you and connect with you online and in person if they are in Ohio? In person, when we get rid of the virus. Well, I know that's what you true. <laughs> My website is www.beinginmovement.com, like human being with a hyphen, mm -hmm. in hyphen movement.com. Mm -hmm. My email is my, my, my name, Paul Linden, T-A-U-L-L-I-N-D-E-N at aol.com and uh, if people write to me or communicate i do write back sometimes i take a while because there's too much there's only 26 hours in a day 26 like, something like that depends what whether you're in the northern or hem southern hemisphere i guess uh, but anyway I, I enjoy making contact with people so please do if you have questions contact me and thank you very much for having me on this podcast. I've enjoyed it. Thank you.
Thank you. Yes, good questions. You gave really, really good answers. This has been an excellent episode, Paul. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to the Fightback Podcast. Please give me a like on YouTube. Leave me a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you to Nari for the beautiful song Shape Me, which is heard at the beginning and the end of this episode. Nari wrote this song about Shape Your Life, which is a boxing program for self-identified female survivors of violence in Canada. She wrote this song using the words and experiences shared by participants with Kathy Van Ingen. And you can find out more about Shape Your Life in my interview with Kathy, with Kathy um, in episode eight of the Fightback podcast. And of course, you can hear more of Nari's work by going to her Instagram at Nari the Sega. See you next time. Don't gotta tell you what my name is, I don't gotta explain it. Walk in the room, hear a boom erupting like I'm famous. I'm here shedding shells, I'm shameless. Half in nothing, no complacence. Walk to many tight ropes with no hope, so I became this poster they hold over all the heads of trauma holders. You don't need to know my history, I move boulders. Atlas shrug, cause I lifted the weight above his shoulders. No pretense of defense, move first like chess soldiers. This goes deeper than empowerment, cause huh, I'm the one that power it. Physical meets mental challenge me to keep devouring. If I can't change the scenery, at least I change perspectives. No longer isolated, but elevated and selective. Darkest places become beautiful spaces. This is where rage meets patience. Meets power meets gracious. Meets, we're so glad you came in. The feeling is contagious. When you the walking impact of intended bad intentions. When you the manifest enough collecting all they tensions. You the soul and body hold it all and still remember. But I'm a work in progress, testament to all contenders. Forgot what it was like to have control over self. Forgot what it was like to be the one in charge. Forgot in my reflection, I can see all my wealth. Forgot that with my bare hands, I break all these bars, barriers, and obstacles. They can't cage me. They can't chronicle all my experiences and reduce them to appearances when i was truly beaten gave myself clearances to fall down mess up and get myself back up i'm not looking for clovers because i don't believe in luck damn you were badass i heard them say it clearly why thank you very much i know now i'm not weary of what's next for me because i expect to see growth like i was planted watered fed and bloomed to be the positivity and accountability Knowing they won't step if I'm the agent of my agency I think I found my voice again, huh? I think I found my voice again, huh? I'm not sorry, I'm not sorry, you're the end where I begin Boundaries, I know them well, take a breath and meditate Who is she? I know her well, now I get to open gates One, two, one, two, I don't need your permission And if you get uncomfortable, then use your intuition To know that I won't stay where respect is ever missing And everything I do, that's me making decisions It's truly underrated, the value of self-worth Forgot that I was rich from the moment of my birth A penny for my thoughts, no really, you can't afford it You cannot buy my story, rewrite it, or record it You cannot buy my story, rewrite it, or record it, huh?